Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This episode of Hey Amarillo is supported by the Discover Amarillo app. This free download is designed to be a resource for new Amarillo residents and, well, anyone else who wants to keep up with local events, activities, shopping, businesses, and more. It even maintains a list of family-friendly restaurants with Kids Eat Free offers. You can find out more at discoveramarillotx.com or head to your app store of choice to download Discover Amarillo today. That's the Discover Amarillo app, now available for iPhone and Android. And as part of this podcast partnership with Brick and Elm Magazine, I want to give a podcast shout out to Amarillo College, online at actx.edu, Colfax Tavern and Diner in New Mexico, online at coldbeernm.com. It's an interesting place, a cool place. And the city of Tucumcari, New Mexico, online at visittucumcarynm.com. Read the free e-edition of Brick and Elm at brickandelm.com. Today's guest is Lindsay Irwin. Lindsay isn't originally from this area. She spent her formative years in the Metroplex. And her path to Amarillo was a winding one after she lived something of an itinerant lifestyle in the years following college. But those experiences ended up bringing her to Amarillo several years ago. And since then, she's been an educator for Amarillo ISD. She helped co-found and coordinate the launch of the Amarillo Community Market. And since late 2020, she's been the co-owner of Can Fusion Juice. Now, these are cold-pressed juice shots that include high-quality blends of hemp-derived CBD and THC. Yes, I said THC but can fusion is legal in the state of Texas. So we talk about that. There's a lot of ground to cover in this one. Here's Lindsay Irwin. Lindsay Irwin, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm honored to have you. I know a little bit uh, about your background, but I want to start with you the same way I start with all of my guests, and that's to ask you how you ended up here in the first place. So what brought you to Amarillo? Sounds good. So uh, my husband brought me to Amarillo. Okay. I was living in Taos. Uh, I was kind of a little bit of a lost soul and just traveling and wanted to collect some unique experiences. And so I moved to Taos to go skiing and learn how to ski because I'd never been before. Okay. That's a, that's a real commitment to learning how to ski, to just move to a ski town. Right? Well, you know, I didn't have a lot else going on. I wanted to just really fully immerse myself in the experience. And I needed a roommate, and I found one on Craigslist, and now we're married. Wow. And I live here with him. <laughs> what what year was that? Like, what's what's the time? That frame? was 2013. Okay. So we lived in Taos together for a few years. He wintered there um, because he owns a greenhouse and didn't need to be here in the winter and loves to ski. And I lived there for a couple of years and then decided... Okay, I think he's probably worth following to Amarillo. Okay. Where did you grow up before that? <laughs> so I I lived in Las Vegas, Nevada until I was 10. And then I did middle school and high school in McKinney, just okay. um, north of Dallas. Dallas area. Dallas area uh-huh. And then I went to college at UNT. And when I graduated, I just decided I wanted to see what else the world had to offer. So I kind of traveled a little bit. I went to Florida, lived there for a little while. I was in Iowa and then Montana for a little while. And then I landed in Taos and now here. So you really were itinerant for (laughs) a while. Did you know? Itinerant is the word. (laughs) Okay. Did you know like career wise what you wanted to do? Like, did you have a goal when you went to college? No, I had no idea. So I 
did not want to go to college. Um, but my mom was very insistent that I went because she didn't get the opportunity to go. And so she gave me the gift of making me go to college, which, right. you know, I'm very grateful for. I'm very lucky that she did that for me. Um, so I went to college. I was, you know, I was interested in everything, but I couldn't really put a pin in what I wanted to do. So I started with political science and then I went to education and I ended up graduating with a psychology degree and a minor in art history. Okay. So really... Two of those degrees that just (laughs) kind of thrust you into the workforce. Yeah. (laughs) I I had people banging on my door wanting to hire me. Um, No. I I was an English major, so (laughs) I can can speak to that. (laughs) So you understand. So yeah, I had no idea what I wanted to do. um, But I knew if I stayed in Denton, I would just live at the bars and not do anything. And so I had to kind of get out of there to get my head together and decide what I wanted to do. And so I collected some experiences and met a bunch of interesting people. And I just wanted to add a little variety to my life, I think. So I um, I did some migrant farm work. Okay. I worked for a ball gown designer. Uh, and then I was a lifty. And then when well, I... What's a lifty? Oh, a lifty is, is a... Is that a ski term? It's a ski Okay. It's the person who catches the chair when you get on the ski right. lift. Okay. So it's a very, you know, well-respected position. So. <laughs> Not really. And then when I moved here, I decided I wanted to be a teacher. And so I got my teaching certificate and I taught at um, Austin my first couple years and I loved it. And then I taught at Highland Park for a year. I got the opportunity to teach art. Okay. So I moved to Highland Park to teach there. And then uh, my last year I taught at Crockett. All right. So I have some questions to follow up to that, but I want to go back to your itinerant period <laughs> because I, I know that that's something that I, I think a lot of people maybe dream about. You know, when mm-hmm. when you're college, in college and you don't really have a specific plan, you've got this this desire to experience a lot of things, mm-hmm. to see the United States or see the world or whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think about doing that, don't always do that. Right. And and can, can you tell me, like, what did you gain from that? Does it does it feel like a, a lost period where you didn't really know what you were doing? Or does it feel like an important part of your life? That's a great question. So my motto has been for a long time, bef- you know, when I was just in high school, doing a little bit of reading and kind of dreaming about the world, my motto was always leap and a net will appear. And I didn't really know what that meant in my life until I had the opportunity to go, you know, a friend said, hey, we're going to detassel corn in Iowa. And I was like, that's, this phrase is important now, this saying, leap and the net will appear. So I just went and it it does not feel like a lost period at all. It feels like something special and unique and weird. Mm-hmm. And some people are like, why would you ever do that? And some people are like, that is really cool. Tell me about your experience. But the best part was that I met such an interesting variety of people. There were I met anarchists and um, migrants from Mexico. And I met people who are a little bit like me, who are just kind of lost souls trying to figure out what the world was about. Um, I met farmers. There were just uh, truck drivers from Canada and Montana. Just a lot of really interesting people and people with different perspectives on the world. And I feel very grateful that I was able to to be a part of, you know, or to have that experience. Was there something about getting away 
you know, from the Metroplex area, getting out on your own? Like, did, do you feel like you sort of found yourself or maybe had a different appreciation, you know, for where you came from, just doing these different things? Absolutely. I felt I had a, a lovely upbringing. There was nothing wrong with it, but I felt that I was a little bit sheltered and I didn't really know what from. So I just had this kind of sense that there was more to the world that I wasn't experiencing. Um, and so I just wanted to see what that was about. And my initial goal or dream was to go travel in Europe and to see all of Europe or South America or somewhere that's not in the United States. And then I was poor. So <laughs> I was so, fresh out so of college. So you went the corn detasseling route. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I did what I could afford. So I collected experiences and I wrote about it and I did a lot of reading. It was a time where there was nothing to do but detassel corn and then sit by a campfire and chat with people and read and write. There was no television. You were completely unplugged. I feel like that was a really wonderful experience to have at that age. Before you came to Amarillo, did you have any perspective on this area? I mean, had you been through here? I had never been through Amarillo. I had never been to Amarillo. I had never, I knew the name Amarillo because it was in Texas and I am from Texas, but I had no conceptions about what it was like. Um, so it was it was really interesting to move here with just a totally set of totally fresh eyes. Mm-hmm. No, you know, I had no baggage coming here okay. whatsoever, which was kind of nice. So I, I want to talk about your experience teaching because I I've had uh, people with teaching backgrounds, educational backgrounds on the show. Uh, I don't know that I've had anybody who has experience at Highland Park. And so given that you worked at, uh, at Austin and Crockett mm-hmm. and also at Highland Park, um, can you tell me like some of the differences between those two communities? Sure. Or those three communities, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Highland Park was so interesting because it is a tiny school. Mm-hmm. So I taught from sixth grade to 12th grade um, and high school is not my forte. I'm not very good at teaching high school, <laughs> um, but it's such a tiny school that you kind of are responsible for the kids from, you know, the time they're young to the time they're old. And right. you, you encounter the same students over and over again. I only taught there for one year, so I don't have a great perspective on it, but I thought the community was very well established in its own kind of in in its own culture, everyone kind of had their role mm-hmm. and they'd been in the same role from the time they were in kindergarten and all the students just knew where their niche was and who their clique was. And there was not a lot of branching out, which I thought was really interesting. Whereas in Amarillo, you know, you go kindergarten through fifth grade and then you kind of get this little opportunity to change yourself yeah, you a little bit. You can start over in middle school. Exactly, where that's not a thing at Highland hmm. Park. That's interesting. So it was, you know, kids who had a bad reputation kept their bad reputation, which I felt was a little bit disappointing. They mm-hmm. really liked having new teachers who didn't know their reputation. Yeah. <laughs> um, but overall, I think it was a really interesting, cool place. And the teachers just really care a lot about their students, which I think is the biggest element of having, you know, a good education is okay. teachers that care. Yeah. All right. I also know that during that period, uh, you were part of the uh, the launch of the Amarillo Community Market. And I wonder if you can tell me, like, sort of how that idea came about. You know, where where did that come from? Yeah, absolutely. The Amarillo Community Market is one of the things that I'm just most proud of being a part of. I it was it landed in my lab very serendipitously. I came here, and my husband. He owns commercial greenhouses with his brother and dad. And then they also do a little bit of farming kind of on their land, or they did at the time. And, 
you know, he had tomatoes and squash and zucchini mm-hmm. and melons to sell. And we went to the Golden Spread Farmer's Market, which was great. But you had to be there before the yeah. sun came out. And then you were done by 7.30 or 8. And I loved that. There were amazing farmers there. But there wasn't really a place to commune. I wanted uh, – I loved everything about the Golden Spread. But I wanted to take it in – to something that I had imagined when I heard the word farmer's market, right, when I hear what right. a farmer's market is. And so I had kind of been talking about it and I had all these notes and I'd been planning, you know, how could this look? And then very serendipitously, I met my now friend, Tim Ingalls. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was like, hey, we're actually kind of trying to start that right now. Can I bring you to a meeting? And so I went to a meeting with him and Carly Metal Martinez mm-hmm. and Beth Duke was there. And I was working as a server. I was just about to start teaching. So I had, I felt like I had plenty of time. I hadn't, I was um, preparing my classroom for my first year teaching while I was also preparing for the first summer of the community market. What year was that? 2016. Okay. I think that's, I think 2016. Yeah. And I was just, I put everything I had into it and I had no idea what I was doing. I hadn't, I had no reason to believe that I had the skill set to start a market, but I just, I really wanted to see it happen because I wanted to participate in a farmer's market. I wanted to be a part of it. And so again, leap and the net will appear. And I just kind of faked it and did a lot of research and tried really hard and something really nice came out of that. Has it ended up becoming, you know, what it is now? Is this what you and, and that group envisioned? It is part of what we envisioned, I think. You know, we all, other than Beth, we all had to step away from the market for different reasons. I wanted to start a family. Carly moved out of town. Tim had other things going on. And so it is part of what we were hoping for it to be. And it's still a great piece of Amarillo, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think it has a lot of potential to grow in new directions. Now that none of the original founders are there other than Beth, I think other people can step in and kind of imprint their vision on it. And it has continued to evolve. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I think that's that's probably healthy. I mean, it, it shouldn't be the same thing it was five years ago. Every farmer's market, every community market is going to do that. Absolutely. And that's why I felt okay about stepping away from it because I felt like I was maybe a little bit too entrenched in mm-hmm. the day-to-day that I couldn't bring the fresh ideas that I started with to the market. And so my hope was that when I stepped away, someone else with fresh ideas could come in and go, Let's revamp this and make it something even better than where it started. I think you get a little bit of founder's syndrome where you have this vision and then you you really get entrenched in, okay, well, we can't do this because I read this one rule one time. And you really just need someone new to come in and say, let's start over. Let's see what we can do with what we have. Okay. Well, I want to ask you then to to dig into that founder syndrome a little bit. (laughs) And like, is... You, you said it's it's close to what you envisioned. Mm-hmm. Is there is there still? And I know you're not involved with it, so mm-hmm. you don't have any um, you know any authority to make it happen. But like, what are some of the things that that you would still like to see as part of that event? So I would love to see more interactive activities for people to engage with things that are different every week. So maybe doing some kind of odd craft. Mm -hmm. Um, I think looping kids into as many different activities as possible is super important. And it's a great way to engage the community. You know, as a mom now, I wasn't a mom when I started the market. And now I'm a mom and I'm like, 
we need fun stuff to do with my kids. Like, where can I bring my kids that's fun and free and they can be outside and just explore? And so I think incorporating some kid-friendly, unique activities. There's so many cool organizations in Amarillo that could come to the market and bring something different mm-hmm. every week. And I would love to see activities like that um, that that cater to all age groups and and interests. Are there some some farmers markets or community markets that you experienced while you're traveling that that you kind of drew from as as maybe an inspiration? I did. When I was living in Denton, the they had just started their market. Um and so I only got to go once or twice. And then the Taos farmers market is just beautiful and wonderful. Same with the the market in Albuquerque. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a really cool setup. And I think the best thing about farmers markets is that they're very emblematic of the city that they're in. And so I love the space that the Emerald Community Market occupies, that little downtown area with a little bit of green space, and it's got the historic Bivens building behind mm-hmm. it. It's such a cool space, whereas you know the one in Albuquerque is at the rail yard, so it really embodies their space. Um, and I think we could really build on that and kind of bring in other things about the community, not make it so downtown centric, but bring in other parts of the community, like have someone from Cadillac Ranch come in and bring in, you know, the paint chips mm-hmm. or something like that. I think there are a lot of really cool areas in our community that could also be represented in downtown just as a central meeting place. Okay. I know that over the last couple of years, you've sort of uh, transitioned career-wise, and I wanted to ask you about that. You moved from teaching uh, and then development of the community market into more of an entrepreneurial role. So tell me, tell me how that happened. Yeah, absolutely. So I loved teaching, and I loved the students so much, but I felt a little bit I would want, number one, I was ready to start my family. So I wanted a little more flexibility. I wanted to be able to stay home with my kids. And uh, my daughter was born in 2020, mid pandemic in May of 2020. And, you know, everyone had a little bit of cabin fever at that time. My daughter was born really sick and uh, we lived in Fort Worth for a month while she recovered. Okay. And then we came home and I was like, okay. We just survived something so crazy. I had this beautiful, healthy daughter that, you know, it could have gone very differently. We're so lucky to be here. What can I do that kind of takes this energy and moves it forward? I needed an outlet for this new energy I had and figuring out who I was as a mom, but also someone who wanted to still be contributing and doing something beyond just momming. And so my husband was growing hemp in the greenhouse and still is. And we just kind of had the idea that we wanted to take hemp and make it a little edgier. And so we created Canfusion, which is our cannabis juice business. It's cold pressed fruit juice with hemp derived cannabinoids. It's totally legal, okay. but it also gets you high. And so, <laughs> what, what does that high look like? So, Tell me about that. I mean, compared to a traditional, you know, THC kind of high. Absolutely. So it is THC. We use um, hemp-derived THC in our juices. It's legal because it, uh, on a dry weight basis, it's still below 0.3%. Okay. So this was really an endeavor to be a little bit disruptive and a mm-hmm. little bit, we wanted to make a little bit of trouble because, you know, in Amarillo, we're a pretty conservative community, but I think lots of people really enjoy 
getting into a different headspace. Yeah. And THC is a way to do that. Well, we're very close to a couple of states that allow that at this point. Exactly. And I and think there's some steady traffic to <laughs> and from Clayton or Trinidad or, you know, whatever. Absolutely. And so, you know, we had the hemp business there. I wanted to do something creative. And so it just kind of ended up turning into this business. And um, we we talked to a lot of people and we kind of had our first iteration that were these little tiny bottles and they tasted really good. And we started talking to people about how they were using them. And we realized lots of moms, lots of older working women who had trouble sleeping were using them Mm -hmm. to help sleep. Um, People who were using benzos for various things or opiates were using them to kind of ease back on those things. We realized this was really an opportunity to bring THC not to the quote stoner type, but maybe it's an opportunity to make using THC feel really normal to Mm -hmm. really normal people, people who would never walk into a cannabis shop traditionally, um, but who maybe go buy a six pack of beer, a bottle of wine every once in a while. So we sell in liquor stores because we really wanted to make people feel like, Hey, it's okay that I like to use this this beverage that gets me into a different headspace and it doesn't make me a delinquent or right. a bad person or a criminal. It's more accessible. You don't have to meet somebody on a street <laughs> corner somewhere, you know, exactly. or, or drive to another state. So. Exa- you don't have to drive to another state. You don't have to know a drug dealer. Uh, you can go to your local liquor store and buy something that's good for you because it's cold pressed juice and it also makes you feel really good. And you, you know, use, you know, some people take a whole shot of whiskey and some people sip on their whiskey and our juices are kind of the same way. You sip on it if you want just a little bit of a relaxation um, for your evening or to start your day, or, you know, you take the whole thing before you go to bed and you sleep through the night. Okay. Had you encountered uh, that kind of approach with juice before? We had not. was that something you were just coming up with? No. It actually came about because we had to find a loophole. So my husband and I are both fairly health conscious people. Mm -hmm. We don't do a lot of sugar or anything like that. But the the law is written that you have to have less than 0.3% THC on a dry weight basis in order for it to be legal. And so in order for that to happen, you have to have a lot of sugar. And the best way to get sugar without adding a whole bunch of high fructose corn syrup or, you know, actual cane sugar is to use fruit. And so that's kind of how the juice model came about. We had no idea what we were getting into, getting Mm -hmm. into the juice business. It was another moment where we just kind of leapt and the net is appearing. Um, And we've learned so so much about how to operate a juice business and also a cannabis business. They are two very difficult industries to be a part of. Um, So we're learning as we go. Is the, well, let's start with the cannabis business Mm -hmm. in Texas. It's, it's always changing. It's always evolving. Mm -hmm. People are always saying, well, we might be a few years away from legalization, Mm -hmm. you know, until then you're having to deal with you know, that percentage or some gray areas or figuring out the loopholes, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel about the state and how that might change going forward? Like, I, I'm sure that you are aware of a lot of the discussions that are happening. Yes. I think, first, let me say, I hate politics so much <laughs> <laughs> because they're so divisive. And I feel like cannabis is one of the very rare topics in politics where so many people agree and yet the politicians are disconnected from that fact so both sides of the aisle both sides of the aisle they have no idea that 
everyone wants cannabis to be legal. And that's a little bit frustrating. We have a really cool ag commissioner in Texas, Sid Miller. Mm-hmm. Um, He's kind of, he pioneered our hemp bill that made our juices legal and allowed people to grow hemp in Texas. And that came on the heels of the farm bill, the 2018 farm bill in that was federally legalized hemp. So Texas needed to have its own to make it legal here. Okay. Um, and Sid Miller has recently come out and said, we need to decriminal or we need to legalize cannabis. He's going beyond decriminalization. He has said, this is nonsense. We want our economy to be able to benefit from cannabis, and we want people to be able to benefit from the effects of cannabis, whether it's recovering from PTSD, whether it's getting off of pills, whether it's helping you sleep, or just because you like to get high, and that's Mm -hmm. okay. And he has been recently especially a really big proponent of legalization. And so I'm hopeful that in the next election people our politicians will be forced to confront the issue that their voters want to you know they want they want to see cannabis legalized for the most part i think it's something like 70 percent of Mm -hmm. people are in support of it on both sides of the aisle how do you feel like how would that change your business would would that have an impact on your business? Would it allow you maybe a higher percentage of THC in your product? Or so we could definitely have a higher percentage of THC. We wouldn't need to operate in a loophole, which mm-hmm. would be excellent. We our cannabinoids would be a lot cheaper because they wouldn't have to be derived from hemp. They could be derived from marijuana, which is basically the same plant, but it just has a higher THC right. content. So our cannabinoids would be cheaper. It would open up the market for a lot more competition, which is a little bit scary as a business mm-hmm. owner, but I also think competition makes you better at what you do. And so I I just think it needs to be legalized so that more people can access it. And it would also, in in some sense, make it a little bit easier for us. There's a lot of barriers that we see with advertising. Mm-hmm. We're not allowed to advertise on the internet, basically, at okay. all. No social media. We're not allowed to advertise on Google. Which... It's real hard. How do you how do you get in front of people? It's very, very hard. Going from something like the the farmer's market where we advertise the community market and you had 90 vendors who were also advertising your community market where we grew so fast on social media, whereas in the cannabis industry, your post gets taken down for mm-hmm. advertising your legal product, which is yeah. it's a little bit frustrating. Um, so if we legalized it, I'm hopeful that it would become federally legal eventually and we could start advertising more and that people would be less hesitant to bring them into the bring in, bring the product into their stores. Okay. Are there some some banking hurdles in Texas? I know that a lot of the, you know, like like in Colorado, you know, a lot of the cannabis shops mm-hmm. struggled initially mm-hmm. just working with a bank who would say, "Yes, you can deposit your money here" and and that sort of thing because of the federal, you know, hurdles that were involved. Yes, absolutely there are banking hurdles. So my parents both work for Happy State Bank. Um, my stepdad was an executive. They actually ended up living, moving to Amarillo because of Happy State Bank, okay. not because of me, okay. although I think I was an added bonus. Um, and we could not start our business account at Happy State Bank. Yeah. We uh, are very lucky that we have so many local banks here, though, because Amarillo National was glad to was glad to bank us, and we were very grateful for that. So we here in Amarillo, we don't have any hurdles, but there are other communities like in the Metroplex, they've got way too much risk. I think Mm -hmm. there there are not very many privately owned banks that are willing to take on a cannabis or there are not many, very many privately owned banks, period. Right. And I think you kind of need that in order to take on a cannabis. That's where the uniqueness of A and B kind of comes in and that they're not 
having to please shareholders and Wall Street mm-hmm. or anything like that. It's, it's a family and they can make those decisions. Absolutely. So we're really lucky that, you know, we can have happy for our personal accounts and mm-hmm. we have A and B for our business accounts. Okay. <laughs> What's the goal for growing your your customer base? Like, are, are you expanding into other places outside the Texas panhandle? Are you trying to get, you know, in in front of a lot of different liquor stores and and all that kind of stuff? Absolutely. So we like liquor stores and we have a few uh, head shops like CBD shops. Mm -hmm. I guess they're smoke and vape shops is what they are. (laughs) Um, And we have some spots in Taos where we have friends, but we really, I feel like we've kind of proven our concept to ourselves. And the Panhandle has been such a great place for us to start our business because we could kind of see what barriers we would have. So we've really been able to evolve while we're still really small Mm -hmm. and we can see what hurdles we're going to have. And so now that we feel like we've grown up a little bit as a business, we know a little bit more about what we're doing than we did a year ago. We hired a salesperson in Austin, so we're hoping to expand into the Austin market. And then as that market grows, um, we'll hire salespeople in Dallas. And we're also, we do online sales. So we kind of, we advertise on different podcasts. And so our online sales are picking up, which is really fun to see people from Pennsylvania and New York buy our products. But then we're also expanding into more liquor stores in Texas. And we have a hardware store in Oklahoma that sells uh, cannabis growing supplies. And so he carries really cool drinks as well. Are there any challenges to shipping your product like across state lines because... The, of the murkiness, or is that like not as murky as as maybe I think? Great question. So the USPS ships hemp. Um, okay. There you can't. Well, eh. we could ship with FedEx and UPS, but they're uh, they don't really want to know. Is that? I think that's probably part of it. They don't really want to know. I don't think none of them really want to mm-hmm. know. But because our product is legal and it's federally legal, it's not really that problematic. It would be if someone said, hey, we need to get you, like, we need to test your product to make sure it's legal. It would be a pain, Mm -hmm. but we would still be allowed to ship through them because it's a legal product. And it's federally legal. It's legal in Texas. It's compliant in every sense of the word. So the biggest hurdle with shipping our juices is keeping them cold when it's 108 degrees. I I understand that. (laughs) It was great in the winter. It's way easier to ship in the winter, but we're we're finding creative ways to ship in the summer. And I, I also wanted to ask you, you mentioned, you know, sort of that idea at the beginning that you wanted to do something a little disruptive or mm-hmm. maybe a little counterculture. Uh-huh. Has that met your expectations, like in dealing with people at the community market or dealing with people uh, who you know are your local customers mm-hmm. or... Are people just way more open to it than than they used to be? People are so cool with it, and it's awesome. So I, you know, we first set up a booth at the community market last year when we kind of first got started, and we were really wanting to test the waters and show our juice to people. And so we brought one of Jarrett, my husband's hemp plants, out there, and every type of person stopped at the booth and was like, "I smoked weed. I'm from, you know, I'm from the Vietnam era." Mm-hmm. Or, "Oh yeah." Does a hemp plant look like a marijuana plant? Yes. Or are they pretty much the same? They're exactly okay. the same plant, just about, um, just with different concentrations of THC. Got it. So they look exactly the same. They smell exactly the same. That very pungent mm-hmm. smell that everyone knows, that most people know. I would say, <laughs> if nothing else, you smell it on the streets of Las Vegas. You know, like, <laughs> exactly. While you're down. Yes, but people have been so cool about it, and it's been so refreshing because we weren't really sure what kind of attitude we would be met with. I don't think we've we've met a single person that said. 
that's wrong and I'm yeah. not going to do yeah. it, which is really cool. And it, it makes, it gave me a new appreciation for Amarillo and the super conservative reputation that it has. Well, I think people are more open-minded than we give them credit for here. And I think legitimately Amarillo is still very conservative. I mm-hmm. think you're just right that that culture, especially around marijuana, mm-hmm. has changed over the past 20 or 30 years. Just if nothing else, because of exposure to it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Or knowing someone who it really helped. Yeah. My brother is a veteran. He served in the Marines. And so that was that's one thing that I feel really passionate about is that um, a lot of people use THC for PTSD. Mm-hmm. And he has a lot of friends that just get high regularly because it helps keep them grounded and keep their trauma at bay. Hmm. And so we support Wishes for Warriors. Um, they do excursions with uh, veterans and they like to get high because, you know, a lot of them have seen things that many other people have yeah. not had to yeah. see. And I think it's cool to be a part of a community that, you know, we just want to support people having fun, but we also want to support people who are using our drinks as kind of a medicine. Yeah. I mean, in that context with PTSD, mm-hmm. I mean, it's clinically proven that that is an effective treatment. Absolutely. Believe, so, yeah. I want to close this section by just asking you about your relationship to Amarillo. Having, you know, kind of moved here just because you're following you know, your, your, your mm-hmm. husband. And then, you know, getting involved with a family that that had strong ties here, teaching in a variety of schools. Now you're mm-hmm. running a business that's based here. Um, what have you learned about, like, your your new adopted hometown of, of Amarillo? I love Amarillo and I feel like there's a people have a lot of baggage here because maybe they haven't experienced other places or there's the idea of having all the amenities of urban life if you move to Dallas mm-hmm. or Austin but I think we're so lucky here because there's this culture here where people have been here for generations and everyone is nice and interested in other people. And the community is small enough that everyone knows everyone. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows someone that you know. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for people to collaborate and move their interests forward because Amarillo is small enough where you don't have a lot of barriers and you don't have a lot of competition for a lot of things. And so I, I love living here. I could do with a change of weather occasionally. <laughs> I think at this point in the summer, we all could. <laughs> yes. But overall, I think Emerald is a wonderful place, and it's a wonderful place to raise a family. It's an easy place for everyone in your whole family to live here, and that's this, that's our situation, and so I would never want to raise our kids anywhere else. This episode is also brought to you by SKP Creative. We live in an online world, and online reviews have the ability to make or break your business. Reviews, powered by SKP Creative, is the fastest and easiest way to get great reviews from your loyal customers on the platforms of your choice. There's no complicated setup, no expensive training. It's just a simple, intuitive interface created with small business owners in mind. Visit reviews.skpcreative.com to start generating more reviews for your business today. That's reviews.skpcreative.com. Okay, I'm back with Lindsay Irwin. Lindsay, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum and Canyon. 
It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes the fossilized skeleton of a labyrinthodont amphibian, which was a four-foot-long predatory amphibian with sharp teeth, an aquatic animal that rarely ventured on land, which tells you a lot about how the climate here has changed, <laughs> that there were all these, you know, oceany sorts of creatures back then. Very hard to uh, imagine. Because that was discovered in Potter, Potter County. So That's so cool. Um, that was late Triassic. You can see that uh, fossil at Panhandle Plains. Learn more at panhandleplains.org. Okay. Uh, the first question is, when you think of Amarillo 10 years from now, what do you hope for? Uh, I hope that it continues to grow in its creative spaces. So I hope that in 10 years, uh, people are still thinking outside the box and creating spaces that we don't even think about right now mm -hmm. as options or possibilities. I think what people are doing with their interesting spaces like Caliche and what Blank spaces, murals yeah. is doing and creating beautiful places for people to commune over different hobbies and passions is wonderful. And I hope we continue to grow on that trajectory. Because you're, I mean, you're a mom with young kids. Mm -hmm. And so when you think 10 years from now, like you've got kids who are going to be almost teenagers at that point. Exactly. And so you're trying to think what what's going to be here for them. Absolutely. And I want it to be somewhere that they feel excited to go out and do something interesting and experience something new. And I want it to be a place where they want to stay and mm -hmm. make the community better when they get older. I, w I don't ever want them to feel the need to, to leave Amarillo for something better. You know, I hope they leave and find some cool experiences. And then I hope they want to come back and build their home here as well. Okay. Other than wind, what does this area have too much of? Okay, I don't want to offend anyone, but I had never heard of a water store before I moved here, like Water Still or mm -hmm. HTO. I had no idea what it was, and they're everywhere, and I don't understand them. So that's <laughs> – I don't understand it. I have, I'm sure people love them, but I feel like there's a lot of them. Well, tell me this. How do you feel about the taste of Amarillo tap water? Like, do you enjoy it coming, coming from the Metroplex or coming from Taos? Like – you know, Taos water is amazing, mm -hmm. but we also live on a farm and we have well water. So okay. I don't really drink Amarillo City water. Okay. Um, I've never thought tap water tasted good anywhere else I've lived other than Taos. See, like, <laughs> so. that's what they, I, I grew up in Amarillo, have lived here all my life, have never liked the city's municipal water. Okay. And so if I go to the mountains or if I go to Dallas, I'm just like, this water is good <laughs> right out of the sink. And so to me, like the idea of having a place where you can go get your Reverse osmosis water, that seems totally natural to me because I wouldn't drink it otherwise. Okay, well, I guess I will retract that statement and say I do not have the correct perspective since right. I get to use well, well water. And I don't have well water <laughs> here at my house. So. Right, so, you know. Let me educate you as a longtime Amarillo resident. I appreciate that, and okay. I will retract my statement. <laughs> what does this area not have enough of? I think it needs more creative spaces. And I think it needs more people willing to do something unusual. Hmm. And I think that's how your community grows and thrives is when people do things that are a little bit weird. And I think it needs a little bit of courage to make that happen. Okay. That makes sense. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside this area? Uh, it's a weird little diamond in the rough in the desert. It's an unusual place. Okay. Unusual in, in the best sense? In a great that. way. In a great way. It's it's hard to compare to any other place. It's not a metroplex, but it's not a small town. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of really cool things about being somewhere in the middle. Okay. 
What is your favorite Amarillo neighborhood? Okay, I hope I don't get in trouble for not being in Amarillo proper, but my favorite neighborhood is the Palisades. Okay. It's beautiful. We're building a house right now, um, kind of adjacent to the Palisades. We've got a little piece of property that makes us a part of the Palisades, and they've got a new mayor who is cleaning it up and making it cool, and it's got river access, Mm -hmm. and it's not private, so you can go in and you can enjoy it, and people who live there are just nice and there's the starlight canyon mm-hmm. is starting to do some cool little events and shows for the public so i think it's a really neat neighborhood that has a lot of potential for people who have never been in in that neighborhood mm-hmm. like can you tell them where it is or yeah absolutely so um it's south it's it adjoins Paladero Canyon. It's part of the, there's pieces of it that are part of the Paladero Canyon mm-hmm. system. And it's got a river that runs through it. So it's green and it's lush. And I think it got a little bit decrepit over the years. And now there's people who are moving in that are just proud of being in such a lush little space that's kind of, you know, down in the canyon mm-hmm. and it's still a part of the desert and it's still a part of Amarillo, but it's also a little bit green. It's a little bit green and it's a little bit different. So I think it's got a lot of potential and it's, it's like I said, it's South. It's kind of by Lake Tanglewood okay. and Timber Creek Canyon. Okay. What's your favorite local restaurant? El Tevon, hands down. All right. Which one? The one on Paramount. Okay. Their Autobata is better. Better than the one on Grand? than the other one. Uh-huh. Interesting. <laughs> right is is that your uh, is that your typical order? Yes, plato adobada for me. Uh, same for my husband and ceviche for my two year old. All right, that's an expanded <laughs> two year old palate. She loves she's it. Eating ceviche and she eats salsa with a spoon. She's All right. crazy. Good for her. <laughs> What's your favorite coffee shop? Cliffside because they were the first coffee shop on our side of town. The first local coffee shop on okay. our side of town. Cliffside has a passionate following. They do. Which I, I think is great because it's not the coffee shop that, you know, you go sit in there and do your work and all that stuff. It's it's mostly drive through. It's a drive through. Yeah. yeah it's different. It. And I love roasters and I love Palace and I love the vibe in each mm-hmm. of them. They're so different. But Cliff, uh, Cliffside doesn't need a vibe. You know, <laughs> the vibe is, is whatever your car is because it's all. Exactly. And I am a boring coffee drinker. I don't get anything fancy because, you know, that I'm. I, just drink boring coffee and they have really good boring coffee and they're close to my house. Okay. So I don't have to go to the other side of town to get a good coffee. Okay. Last question. When was the last time you visited Cadillac Ranch? Mm, this is embarrassing, but I have only been once. All it right. was three years ago. It was bitterly cold with a bitterly cold wind. And so I didn't even get out of my car. Oh, I know. So you, you were in proximity to it, but you didn't actually visit it. Then. Didn't actually visit it. I do. My mom lives really close to it. So I see it very regularly. Okay. <laughs> well, in your defense, you've you, you haven't been here that long. I, mean, Thank I, I you. meet people who are my age, and they're like, "I've never been out there." So. <laughs> it's on the list of places to go. <laughs> okay, Lindsay, that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guest to endorse something. So, what's one thing you would like listeners to know about or to experience? Go to the Amarillo Community Market and think about setting up your own space there, setting okay. up your own booth, something that you have a an idea about that you're not sure if it's going to work, use the Amarillo Community Market to see if you can launch your idea into something that will benefit your family and also the community. And that has happened. I know of a number of businesses that 
maybe you're operated outside of a home. Maybe they have a storefront at this mm-hmm. point that started at the market. Absolutely. Found their, their customers there. And that was the dream was to allow people to incubate ideas and see if they'll work and then use it as a, use it as a jumping off point to do something even bigger and better that the whole community get to, gets to enjoy. Okay. Lindsay Irwin, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This was great. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Lindsay for the interview. You can learn more about her business at canfusionjuice.com. That's can with two N's. Thanks to Angelina Marie for editing this episode and also to sponsors the Discover Amarillo app, SKP Creative, and Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for supporting the show. This podcast exists on a weekly basis because of listeners like you, so thank you so much for listening to it along with the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Hey Amarillo's executive producers include Jess Heredia, Wilson Lemieux, Josh Wood, Corey Burns, Wes Reeves, Patrick Burns, Jason Burr, Katie Linger, and Barbara and Jim Whitten. This has been episode 260. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>